This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. This is Trey. Thank you for joining us for another Thursday edition, which, of course, is the day we have the privilege of entertaining your questions, which is something we cannot do without the question. So thank you for sending them and thank Mary Langston for being the official custodian of those questions and uh, doing her dead level best to pick the ones that I am least able to answer. And there's I can tell that. That's usually kind of what she picks. Every now and again, there's a sports question, but some of them been pretty tough. Mary Langston, how are you? You You're should great. have been like a prison warden or something. <laughs> Hardly. I don't know if I'd be too good at that job. No, you would not be. Let me let me help you there. No, you would not. <laughs> you wouldn't. Anything that requires being mean or tough or, or no, you would not be good at that. Although I am very thankful there are people that are very good at that job. Yes. The director of South Carolina's Department of Corrections is a friend. So, mm -hmm. yes, Brian is very good at that. But Mary Langston has other gifts. Mary Langston is more likely to go visit people who are in desperate need of a friend or an encouraging word. Well, you're kind to say that, Trey, and thank you for having me. You're right. We See, get there, so we many all great questions. Together. We mm -hmm. all work together. I put them in prison. Brian keeps them in prison. And you offer them some glimmer of hope. It's a good team. That's perfect. Yes. <laughs> all different angles, but it all comes together as one. Yeah, sort of, I think. Yeah, hopefully. Um, well, you're right. We get so many great questions, and I'm so appreciative that they send them our way. I mean, they're always sports, law, politics, and everything in between. And we're kind of like that today. There's a lot of great ones. So are you ready, Trey? I don't know. I, I don't. I mean, probably for the sports one, I am. Yes. I know. Good. I wish we had a sports one today. We well, normally make do. one up. Make one. Well, up. You know, I don't know as much about that as you do. So I don't know if I'd come up with a great question. I mean, in regard you to know sports. enough to say, hey, did South Carolina win the women's SEC tournament? And the That's answer, true. Yes. It is, yes. <laughs> yes. I know. I saw the great excitement of people here and especially the team. I know they work so hard for that. Yeah. Perfect. Perfect season. And, you know, head on to the NCAAs, this little thing they call March Madness. It's kind of mm -hmm. kind of strange that. Something like that, I mean, just captures our attention, even schools we don't follow. And in some instances, schools we really aren't that familiar with. They just capture the nation's attention. That's right. I was talking with a fifth grader and she loves basketball. And she said, you know, I want to play for LSU. And I said, do you know who the coach is? And she knew who the coach was. And it made me so happy. And I knew that that would thrill you to know that she knows Kim Mulkey. Uh, that does thrill me. And I watched as a fifth grader. That's just amazing. I didn't know anything when I was a fifth grader. I certainly didn't know the name of the women's basketball coach at LSU. But 
They lost a tough game in the tournament to Tennessee. There was a call at the end of that game that um, I have not texted Kim to ask her about it because, mm. you know, there's nothing we can do about it now. It actually, to me, looked more like a, th- a third-class felony. Mm. Uh, but they called an offensive foul, which – uh, I didn't really see that. It probably changed the game, but be that as may, I know referees have hard jobs, so I'm not going to pick on the referee. That would be a tough job. You're right. Not as but... hard as talking to fifth graders. That sounds like a hard <laughs> job, too. You would be great at that as well. I know I Terry know I, would be for sure. No, I would not be great at that. Terry would be, <laughs> yes. No, I would not be great at that. <laughs> Well, we'll start with our questions. We have a great one from Brian, and he writes, please give some conclusion and reason for this horrific tragedy with the Murdoch murders. And I think he watched your show, and he also listened to the podcast on Tuesday. Uh, Brian, I cannot give you a reason. There is no reason for a crime like that. I mean, when we reflect on it, two people are dead. One person is going to prison for life without parole. And the remaining son is without both parents and without his brother. So whatever Alex Murdoch thought he was going to accomplish, um, he did not. With nearly every crime, nearly every crime committed, not every crime, but nearly every crime committed, the result is never worth the consequence. I mean, lay aside the immorality, lay aside the criminality, just look at it rationally, which is not the way we should look at it. But. If we look at it rationally, crime almost never pays. So I'll tell you the same thing that I tell my wife, Terry, or I'll tell Mary Langston or tell Sharia Clark or other good people who struggle mightily to understand such depravity or evil. Stop trying. You will never be able to understand what narcissists do or sociopaths do or people that can hurt children, people that can hurt animals, you will never, ever be able to understand what motivates them. I mean, I prosecuted a man who raped a three-month-old child and then killed a woman so he could go to prison as a murderer and not as a child rapist. That was his thought process. I mean, so people of good conscience cannot understand any single aspect of that fact pattern. Not the hurting of a child, not the killing of a stranger, not this twisted desire to go to prison as a murderer and not a child rapist. So, of course, I prosecuted him for both. I mean, I'm sure the judge looked at me like, why don't you just do the murder and get it and do away with him? Because I wasn't going to do that. So he did go to prison as a child rapist and he waited there until his murder trial. So whatever he hoped to accomplish by killing Judy Southern, uh, he did not accomplish. I mean, she's dead. He's on death row or was until the judge let him off. And now he's serving life without parole. I wish I could shed light on any of this. There is no light. It is darkness. People of good conscience will never understand or make sense of this or any other horrific crime because good people do not dwell in this type of darkness. And therefore, it makes no sense. I mean, one day Alex Murdoch will die in prison. His wife and son whilst the only thing that really matters, uh, whatever was on his mind or whatever his intention was not realized. It was not accomplished. And here we sit with just tragedy in every direction that we look. So I cannot give you a conclusion or a reason for 
this. And I just encourage people of good conscience, do not dwell here. It will ruin you if you do. Well, thank you for that good advice, Trey. And thank you, Brian, for your question. Our next question is from Terry, and he writes, what does the press gain from promoting liberal policies regardless of the truth? Why not report the issues without bias and tell it like it is? Well, Terry, I mean, the press in large part has become an extension of the political parties. And I'm going to focus on the word truth. I'm, I'm going to focus really on everybody, not not just uh, I mean, the press is liberal. I've said that. I wish I had a nickel for every time I'd said that. I'd be rich. I could pay Abigail Sephora bill if I did that. But I just I'm going to focus on the truth, not just one side or the other. Um, there's a business model of appealing to the right or the left, and there's lots of money to be made doing that. I don't know how many listeners or viewers or how much success you can have doing what Terry wants and what I actually would like as well, and which I, I do try to do, which is lay out the facts and let the jury decide, let the people decide. Now, having said that, the media decides what is news and what is not. So before we even get to the shading of it left or shading of it right, the mere decision to elevate something to the status of news is in and of itself a decision. You watch one station and they do not cover a story at all. You watch another station and that story is all they cover. And we're left to try to figure out, is the story newsworthy? I mean, one side said, yes, it's worth being obsessed with. The other side says, no, we're not even going to cover it. And then once a story is covered, it is seemingly always covered with some hue or shade or slant. I mean, we had we had so many hearings in D.C. that the media was not interested in at all, not because the subject matter wasn't important, not because it wasn't like a significant issue. It wasn't provocative enough. It wasn't exciting enough. It did not madden or infuriate people enough. So they didn't cover it. And, you know, people listening, people watching television had no idea it happened. And then the media complains that politics is broken and so vitriolic when when they they don't cover stuff that is important, but not provocative. So to me, we don't have to look very far to see the extremes. I mean, one person's insurrection is another person's tourism. One person's terrorism is another person's peaceful protest. And we seem to have lost like a common denominator for what is true and what is not true. I mean, it is possible that something can be like in the middle of a insurrection that's the worst thing since the Civil War and a bunch of people who are just out for a walk and law enforcement completely overreacted. Those are the two extremes. I actually think most of the country realizes the truth is somewhere in the middle of that. So this is what I would encourage people to do. I view everything as, and my father's going to kill me for saying this, but he's also threatened to kill me many, many other times in the past, including when I went to law school and he hadn't done it. So I would view everything as a litigating attorney. Ask 
whoever is telling you something, whether it's a newscaster, a podcast person, how do you know that? How do you know it? What are the limits of your knowledge? Have you investigated it fully? Does one side have an agenda, a motive, an interest in the story? I mean, the media uses so many anonymous sources, so many people whose names you don't know, and therefore you cannot possibly know whether the person is worthy of being trusted or not. I mean, think, I mean speaking of the first question about Murdoch, what undid Alex Murdoch? What undid him? It wasn't forensics. wasn't blood spatter. wasn't DNA. It was a lie. And everyone who wanted to watch him testify could watch him. And they could contrast his explanation with what the video. So you've got the video, which, by the way, doesn't lie and doesn't forget. And you got a witness. And we can use this gift of discernment and figure out for ourselves. And I am sure somewhere out there is someone who found his testimony credible. I'm sure they're, they weren't on the jury, but I'm sure there's someone out there. But the overwhelming majority of the people realized that it was not credible, not worthy of being believed. So if it works in the courtroom, if we're able to ascertain the truth through asking these questions, we should also do that in other facets of life. And we should know that stories are planted. Favorable coverage is exchanged for leaks or special access. The media is just a business now. It's like a coffee shop. There are exceptions. But I I would ask how many people truly want the facts and the facts alone. It just seems as if you have to be all on one side or all on the other. And you can't just say you're actually both a little bit wrong, which is why, again, not to go off on a tangent even more than I've already done. So the courtroom is where you go to find a verdict, which is Latin for the truth, to speak the truth. We don't have any verdicts in politics. Or the media. Well, thank you so much, Trey. And thank you, Terry, for that question. We'll answer more of your questions when we come back. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Our next question is from Pat in South Carolina. He writes, why does the left not embrace people like Nikki Haley and Tim Scott, who are minorities and have worked very hard to achieve success? Well, Pat, in my beloved home state of South Carolina, I, I would argue it's actually more than a lack of embrace, if I heard the question correctly, Mary Langston, it's why the left does not embrace people like Governor Haley and Senator Scott. It's more than a lack of embrace. They are openly hostile to conservatives in many instances who do not fit their mold. It is interesting to me that, according to the left, a black man can be anything he wants to be in the United States of America. In 2023, except a conservative Republican senator from South Carolina. I mean, Tim Scott should be celebrated by everyone who wants to feel good about what is possible. Honestly, what Hakeem Jeffries has been able to do in a very short period of time. 
a very short period of time in the House. He's a congressman from New York with whom I agree on absolutely, well, not absolutely, but for the most part, nothing. Hakeem represents a district in New York, and we didn't vote alike much at all. But you can still celebrate the fact that we live in a country where Tim Scott and Hakeem Jeffries can rise to significant levels of influence and power. But for some reason, it just, I mean, I don't know why it is so hard for people on the left to say what I just said about Hakeem, to say that about Tim or Governor Haley. But, I mean, you go listen to what Joy Reid or some others on the left say about Senator Scott. I mean, it is not just a lack of embrace. It is open hostility. It is actually like uh, go see a doctor kind of hostility. Listen to what some of the women on a show called The View, which, thank God, I do not watch. But I do see when they some of them say stupid things and make the news. So that's not infrequent. What they said about Governor Haley. I mean, I'll give you another less visible example that will hit pretty close to home for you, Mary Langston. Our friend Sheree Clark may have been, may have been, I think she thinks she was, the first woman of color to run a congressional committee on the Republican side. If there was one before her, I don't know about it. And there still weren't very many. So it's not like she was the 100th. She may have been the first. I don't recall any stories celebrating the fact that this homeschooled young woman who went to a religious school and worked her way up from the bottom of Capitol Hill to the top as a staffer on Capitol Hill. I don't recall anything being written or said by the D.C. media celebrating that. Mm -hmm. Now, if she'd been something else, if she'd been liberal, if she'd been like fill in the blank that the left really likes, then Politico and the Hill would have written books about her. But no, I mean, she is a conservative Christian woman who happened to be black and therefore nothing, nothing. Mm -hmm. So the hypocrisy is on them. I mean, not only does the left not embrace Senator Scott and Governor Haley, I mean, they treat them honestly no better than they would if they were just another white male Republican. And it's it's astonishing to me and not in a good way. I don't know if Tim Scott will run for president or not. I mean, people like think I know because I talk to him all the time. I don't, we don't talk about that. Um, and I wouldn't ask him that. That's for him to decide. But but let's say he did. I mean, what a fascinating story. You mentioned a fifth grader that you talked to. That's a lesson for every fifth grader. I don't care what your politics would be. Here's somebody who struggled in school and grew up under less than ideal circumstances. And he started his own business and he was the chairperson of the county council in Charleston. And he was a member of the United States House of Representatives. And he's a United States senator and he's running for the highest office in the land. That should be celebrated, period. But because he happens to be a Republican senator from South Carolina running for president, I promise you they will not celebrate him like they did Pete Buttigieg, who, near as I can tell, was the mayor of a college town. They were crazy about Pete Buttigieg. They will not be crazy about Tim Scott. And I think we can all probably figure out the difference there. I better leave it there and I'll follow my better angels. Well, thank you so much, Trey, for answering that question. Our last question takes us back to the courtroom and it's from Sherry. And she writes, I'm wondering why you pronounce the word defendant with such an emphasis on the final syllable defendant. Hopefully I said that right. <laughs> oh, Sherry. 
That was a song, by the way, Mary Langston. That was before your time. I think it was A Journey or Steve Perry, maybe. It was a song, oh, Sherry. Uh, Oh, yeah, it was a while before your time. (laughs) Sherry, I am laughing because my own daughter asked me the exact same question recently, and she didn't even wait for me to answer. She theorized or mused that I did it because I can't stop being a prosecutor trying to dehumanize defendants in criminal trials. You know, we never refer to the defendant by their name. We don't say little Jimmy is on trial for armed robbery. We say, or I say the defendant, I guess, you know, honestly, if you were looking in the dictionary nowadays, if you were looking in the dictionary, maybe every one of them says pronounce it defendant. Maybe. But back in the day when I was coming along, um, it was rare to hear it pronounced that way. It was pronounced defendant. And that's the way judges did it. And that's the way prosecutors did it. So if you find an old dictionary, it or maybe a new one would say an archaic pronunciation is defendant. I wholeheartedly agree. Defendant is the more common pronunciation. I might even concede it's the only accurate pronunciation, but I cannot stop saying defendant because I said it for 20 years and I said it every time I referred to the person sitting at the defense table beside the defense attorney who happened to be the defendant. So I'm old. It's hard for me to change. You're right. Defendant is the proper way to pronounce to pronounce it. But I'm also right, right that in the old days when I would ride my dinosaur to the courthouse and etch things in stone with a chisel, we used to say defendant. So that's why I still say it. Well, maybe you can start a new tradition or a new thing where people will start saying that. Well, again. I can tell you. My daughter will not be part of that new tradition. It drives her nuts that I pronounce it that way. But honestly, until she mentioned it, I gave no thought to it at all. I I guess if I thought about it, people don't pronounce it that way. But the people I grew up prosecuting cases with and the judges that I appeared in front of and old lawyers pronounce it defendant. Well, I guess you'll just keep saying it that way then. I don't know. I mean, who knows? Maybe. I mean... I mean, I think sometimes old people can change, can't they? They can. Okay, I'm not going to, but I think they can. <laughs> but I'm, I'm not going to. Now that I know it. that it bothers my daughter, of course I'm going to keep saying it. Of course. <laughs> the only thing that would make it better is if Terry told me to stop saying defend that. <laughs> Which I don't think she would. Um, no, she, she would not, (laughs) will not. I don't use that word a lot around the house. (laughs) We've had every one of our dogs has been named after something in the justice system, but we have not named a dog yet, uh, defendant or defendant, (laughs) nor do I see that on the horizon. I guess the jury's still out on that one. We've had jury. We've had judge, jury, we've had bailiff, and now we and got now justice. justice. But we do not have a defendant. <laughs> but Sherry's right. I'm I'm in the minority, but I'm not the only one. You go go to the courthouse, find a bunch of 
old folks sitting around talking about the glory days, drinking coffee, and they'll say defendant. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Trey, for answering all these questions today. And we appreciate you all for sending them our way. I hope they'll continue to do that, Trey. You know what just made me more nervous than Lindsey Graham and a spelling bee? Oh, no. What is that? What if the listeners start sending me all the words that I mispronounce? <laughs> it wouldn't be that many. But what if they do? It would what be this, zero. What if, they, what if this starts a trend? I will be <laughs> up all night, not just because I can't sleep because of those crime dramas I watch. I'm going to be up all night thinking, what's the next word that's going to be brought to my attention that I mispronounce. <laughs> well, hopefully they don't do it about me. It would be about every word, I think. They're not going to so. do it about you because they think you're an angel. They don't. First of all, they don't think you're a real person. They think you're a computer program something not. that I came up with because nobody can be that nice. So <laughs> they don't they don't think you're real. I hope they think I'm real. Well, you are, whether they think it or not. But I have had people ask me if you're a real person or not. <laughs> well, they're kind to say that, and I am a real person. And thank you again, Trey, for answering all these questions. I mean, we had so many great ones today again, and I we wonder if we'll get a sports one next week. Well, it wouldn't be the end of the world. If, I mean, you can ask questions, too. So why don't you email yourself and say, <laughs> hey, Trey, instead of speak, spending 45 minutes to answer a fairly straightforward question, why don't you talk about sports? <laughs> Well, we'll see what happens. All right. You take care of yourself and uh, thank everyone for your questions. It's one of the highlights of the week for me. I don't know if it is for anyone else, but it is for me. So keep them coming, including words that I do not pronounce correctly. <laughs> keep them coming and have a great week. Bye bye. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. Hi, everybody. It's Brian Kilmeade. I want you to join me weekdays at 9 a.m. East as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and, of course, what you think. Listen live or get the podcast now at briankilmeadeshow.com.